one of my first Sabbaths here, I was doing the church life announcements, and uh, after I'd finished, I went back to the back and was going up to be with the AV guys. And Bud Defner stopped me and he said, we're just so glad you're here. We're so welcome. We want to welcome you so much to our church. And he said, you just, you know, you look like you have it all together and you, you know, you're put together. And I said, well, uh, but I'm faking it. I really don't know what I'm doing. To which he said, well, neither do we, so don't worry about it. So I <laughs> just wanted to thank you guys for giving me the opportunity to ascend to your pulpit, as Don Roth said uh, on my maiden sermon. And so I just really am thankful to you guys today. Oh, and then Pastor Chris, uh, in between services, hooked me up with this book here. Uh, what to say when you're dying on the platform. So I'm going to be <laughs> looking at that. Naaman was an outsider. He shouldn't have been accepted. It was actually pretty much impossible for him to be accepted. For, for one, he was an outsider, uh, a foreigner. He was from Aram, otherwise known as Syria. And the Syrians, during the time of the judges, had gods that the Israelites would worship. So they were almost viewed as a temptation to Israel. So he couldn't have been accepted for that fact alone. But not only that, he was a foreigner, but he was also an enemy foreigner. There was a time in which, during the reign of Solomon, Israel and Syria had uh, peaceful business transactions, but that time was all but gone by the time of Naaman. So he couldn't be accepted because of that. So he was a foreigner, and he was an enemy foreigner, and on top of that, he was an enemy general. Syria would conduct raids into Israel from time to time in which the, the general would call these raids. So he was definitely not on the Israelites' most famous list, infamous list, I guess. But even beyond all that, he couldn't be accepted because he was a successful enemy general. And to rub it in even more, to add insult to injury to the Israelites, he was successful because God gave him victory. Now, for all these reasons, being an outsider, a foreigner, an enemy, an enemy general, being successful because Yahweh had made him successful, those all, all those things made him not being able to be accepted. But even if all those things weren't true, he was a leper. Now, the author doesn't mention this from, for medical reasons, although the story is largely medical and there's a miracle which is amazing. But the Hebrew author mentions this because to, in the Hebrew tradition and culture, God had prescribed a set of, of measures to be taken against the unclean. They were unconnected from God. They were cut off. They were separated. They could have no connection to God. So even if he didn't have all these other things going against him, he was unclean. He could not be one of the community. Turn with me, if you would, in your pew Bibles, or if you have your Bible, to 2 Kings 5. Everybody up there? Joseph, pick one up. Trevor. You know, um, I wasn't... Yeah, and Trey and Drew. I, uh, 
I wasn't expecting this to be the most downloaded sermon, but um, after today, the youth and I were kind of making a push uh, for us to uh, have the most downloads of first service uh, for the whole year. So if you wouldn't mind just helping me reach our goal to break the record, I think we got some uh, possibilities. Starting in verse 1. Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. Then she said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. And Naaman went went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus said the girl who is from the land of Israel. Now I kind of find it hard to imagine that this enemy general would just take what this little slave girl says and run with it. If it were me, I would want to know, okay, who is this prophet? Uh, Where is he? Why Israel, my enemy? Uh... Who are you to give me advice, little girl? Uh, Does this prophet have a license to practice curing diseases? Is there a fee? Is there a copay? Give me some type of information for my visit. And surprisingly enough, in verse 5, the king of Syria has just as little hesitation. Then the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. Now, I'm not the math whiz in the family uh, by any means. Maybe I should have run this by you, Heidi, before I announced this in uh, church. But I checked the price of gold a couple days ago. It was $676.34 per ounce. So at 6,000 shekels of gold, that would be $1,487,369.50. I didn't calculate out the silver or the uh, garments. I guess it depends on the designer, but... Nevertheless, it was a lot of money. He brought a big gift. Then he brought the, king, the letter to the king of Israel, which said, Now be advised, when this letter comes to you, that I have sent Naaman my servant to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. Obviously, they are outsiders. They don't really understand the structure between the, the crown and the prophets. Uh, It can be assumed that they just thought, well, if there's any power in Israel, it must come from the king, from the throne. But they were mistaken. And it happened when the king of Israel, in verse 7, read the letter that he tore his clothes. I guess it's good name and brought ten extra sets. And said, am I God to kill and make alive? That this man sends a man to, to me to heal him of leprosy. Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. He figures this guy's coming to pick a fight with him. It's the enemy general. Why would he be showing up? Where are we here? So it was, then the prophet steps in. So it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes. Did I already read that? No. Uh, that he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Then Naaman went with his horses and chariot, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. 
But Naaman became furious and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, At least he'll come out to me and stand and call in the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Doesn't even have common courtesy to come and meet me face to face. Are not the Abana and the Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned away and went away in a rage. And his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, Wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Verse 15, And he returned to the man of God, he and all his aides, and came and stood before him. And he said, Indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now therefore, please take a gift from your servant. But as he said, but he said, as the Lord lives, the prophet says, before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. So Naaman said, then if not, please let your servant be given two mule loads of earth, for your servant will no longer offer either burnt offering or sacrifice to any other gods but to the Lord." Naaman verbally confesses something he already knew. For if his own gods weren't powerful enough to heal him, why would he have come to Israel? He didn't know what he was getting himself into, but he has had an experience. He has felt the connection that comes from Yahweh. And now the God he didn't care about before, didn't know existed— He must worship alone. The access to this God that he didn't care about before is now his primary concern, taking back soil to worship from. And the God who is the reason for all his military success, he now acknowledges. And his response is only natural. It's the only natural way he knows how to respond to having this connection to Yahweh. He doesn't agree to learn Torah. He doesn't agree to learn Levitical law. He doesn't agree to learn about David or Noah or Moses. He doesn't do any of that. He doesn't agree to anything. But he has had an experience with God. And that's changed him. There are people across the street on Myrtlewood Drive, in Ukaipa, Calamesa, at our work, at our schools, at our recreation, that are outsiders. They shouldn't be accepted, really. They don't have much going for them. They don't know any of our traditions or rituals or customs. They're outsiders. Now, this church has been so welcoming to Heidi and I. It's been really amazing. But I'm kind of a shoo-in, don't you think? I know how to dress. I know the lingo. I know the culture. I know the tradition, church history. It's harder for other people. 
a week ago, I uh, had the opportunity to go into Yosemite National Park with 14 Calamese people for the annual youth backpacking trip. And uh, I'd never been backpacking before, so I really didn't know what I was getting myself into. Um, you guys take backpacks to school and stuff. They're not backpacks. This is a backpack, right, Alfred? This is Alfred's pack right here. This thing is this tall, literally, when you get everything in it. I weighed mine uh, when I had packed everything in it. Over 50 pounds. We hiked for five days, seven miles per day. And it's not just a straight five miles. It's five mile, uh, seven miles uphill, up steep stairs. And they're not even stairs, right? They're like rocks and they're all uneven. Okay. That's not hiking seven miles. We went up and down. And then there's no showers. A couple places there weren't bathrooms. Uh, this was hardcore. <laughs> Strap yourself in. You got bruises on your hips. You got bruises on your chest here. And uh, it's very intense. Now, we were going. We came down from uh, Tuolumne Meadows into Cathedral Lake area. And we met this guy. We met this guy uh, who had been hiking for a day or so. And Tyler, this guy had one arm. He had only one arm, and he was backpacking. And we were kind of looking at him. We're saying, you know, it's dangerous out here. I mean, they're bears, and if you get hurt, I mean, this is a backcountry. No one's going to be coming after you uh, for like a day or two. Maybe this guy shouldn't really be out here. Get to talking to him. He's going to Mount Whitney from Yosemite, which is like 200 miles away. This guy was unbelievable. He also fences intercollegiately NCAA Division One. He's amazing. Only one arm. As we went down further down the trail to where it became more uh, day hikers, I began to notice something that I didn't notice before. You know, we're all disgusting, gross, and dirty. We haven't taken showers. Uh, you know, we're tired. We're cranky. But when we see fellow hikers coming the other direction, there's a little instant camaraderie because they know even though they're dirty and disgusting and grimy too, they know what we've been through. And so I saw this little camaraderie as we would go down the trail. But as we got to the areas where there was less uh, backpackers and more day hikers, I noticed, at least I was thinking to myself, I don't know, man, if you were thinking that, day hikers would be coming up and we kind of would look at them like, you guys think you're hikers. <laughs> you guys think you have a backpack on. Give me a break. Then some tourists would be coming up. They had sunshade umbrellas. So we're just saying, give me a break. You guys have no idea. I've seen it on the basketball court. Some older guy come onto the floor for a pickup game. Younger people will kind of think to themselves, okay, I don't really know if this guy should be out here. He's going to hurt himself. He's going to hurt me. Then during the game, scores half the team's points and everybody is uh, wanting his autograph afterwards. I've talked to homeless people in San Francisco who were dirty and disgusting just like I was, who have more of a college education than I do. We really don't know, we don't have any idea what's going on with people. We don't know where they're at. We don't really know where people are at spiritually. If you look in verse 18, back in the text, Naaman says, Yet in this thing may the Lord pardon your servant. 
When my master goes into the temple of Ramon to worship there, and he leans on my hand, and I bow down in the temple of Ramon, when I bow down there, may the Lord please pardon your servant in this thing. Apparently one of his duties was to accompany the king into the temple of their God. And we don't know if it's because he was old, old age and needed help, needed to lean on him for that, or if it was some type of tradition or ritual within that religion. But nevertheless, Naaman was, would be right there, and he wanted to confess at that time that even though he would be helping his king and fulfilling his duties, his heart would be with Yahweh. There's people who are outsiders to this church. They don't listen to the same music we do. They don't dress the same as we do. They don't, we may not even think that they would care about God. But they may care more than we realize. They may have a, a deeper yearning for God and, and a desire to have a connection to God than we can ever imagine. But because they're outsiders— they shouldn't be accepted. They can't. It's not possible. They also may be seeking a community which will accept them. During high school, I had the opportunity to be in a church in, that was very outsider-orientated. These people had had some type of experience with God, and they were changed. They didn't agree to... Uh, learn all 28 fundamental beliefs or watch all of uh, the Bible cartoons, uh, learn church history, or even to change how they dress. They had an experience with God. And that's where they were right then. There were cigarette, cigarette butts on, outside the church. People with alcohol on their breath. Shorts and t-shirts. But they were coming to God because they had an experience with him that had changed them. Can we be a community that will accept outsiders? This church is one of the most welcoming churches I've ever been in. And it's been an amazing experience for me to be here for my first job, first sermon. Ken Beats was like down the aisle in like five seconds when I was over here. And there was like pe ten people around me that were just comforting me, and it's just amazing. Um, I was telling the kids, I mean, during Sabbath school, yes, it was, they said, is, was that embarrassing? I said, yeah, it was embarrassing a little bit. But more than that, I got the sense of community and just how much they care about me as a person. That they were right there. Is being welcoming and loving to our own the same as being accepting of those that might be different, that might be outside of our community? Are we willing to be real enough about our own struggles and issues that we can accept people that are dealing with their own set? Are we willing to accept the outsiders among us? Was that a couple months ago we did walk across the room? A couple months ago, we spent time, four weeks actually, going through a book called Walk Across the Room in which we looked at intentionally forming new relationships with people in our communities, not for the, sense of, to, uh, for the purpose of converting them, but 
to make friendships and share our faith through friendship. As we are continuing to walk across the room, as that continues to be a priority for us, as we continue to put ourselves outside of our comfort zone at work and at school, in our recreation, put yourself in an outsider's shoes. Consider how difficult it may seem to break into our community as an outsider who doesn't know our customs, our traditions, our songs, our clothes, or our history. I'm actually very proud to be an Adventist. I I can't believe how unique a culture that I've been blessed to grow up in. Um, I've been appreciating that more and more over the past few years. I love our culture. But can you see how it might be a little bit intimidating for other people? There is that possibility. So I challenge you today, as I close, to put yourself in the outsider's shoes. And as you're walking across the room in our community, please consider the outsider among us. After all, we were once an outsider. Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us.